Well, an important and staggering moment is about to happen to the people of Israel that is going to change everything about their relationship with God. The people have been rescued from Egyptian slavery. God has brought them to this mountain now in the middle of the wilderness, Mount Sinai, as we know very well. And God is entering into a covenant now with his people. In our last lesson, we were able to look at those first six verses of Exodus chapter 19, where we saw that God made a promise to them and the blessings that were going to come. If you would obey my words and heed my voice, listen to my commands, then I'm going to make you as God's treasured possession, make you a kingdom of priests, make you a holy nation. Moses then has gone back down the mountain and has proclaimed that to the people. And verse 8 of Exodus 19, all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then Moses reported that message back to the Lord. And now this sets up just a phenomenal scene, an amazing scene. Because what's going to happen is God is now preparing to meet his people. God is going to come down and he is going to make the people that he has rescued. You you can see this. We'll read the text in just a moment, but just notice that it says in verse 11 from the third day, the Lord will come down on Sinai, Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. In verse 17, Moses is going to bring the people out of the camp to meet God. This is what's about to happen is God is going to reveal himself. God is going to show the people who he is and why they ought to follow him and serve him. So a magnificent moment is about to happen. So notice then how it plays out in Exodus chapter 19 and look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up onto the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. and They washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. Let's start with that beginning point and notice what God says is going to happen. You need to get ready to meet God. I am going to come down. And the whole picture that's given here is that there is a need for consecration. Very first words that that God says in verse 10, go to the people and consecrate them. We need to get them dedicated to be holy. And that's the idea you should think of. 
Since we don't really use the idea of consecrated a whole lot, God's saying you need to be made holy. Time to be dedicated. Time to be set apart so that you can be ready. And notice that there are three aspects that He decrees for the people so that they can be consecrated and be made holy and ready for God to come. He says the clothes need to be washed. There needs to be a boundary put around the mountain so that no one will come near. And there needs to be abstaining from sexual relations. And the whole idea is you need to be focused on God. Get ready because God is coming. God is going to come down on this mountain and you need to be ready. Which is already indicating to these people something so important that they would forget all throughout their history. And that people constantly forget all throughout history. Is you cannot come to God in your current condition. You can't. You can't just walk up and go, oh, hey, great, God's coming down. Hey, let's go up on the mountain and check it out. So neat that God's presence is going to come. It's going to be great. Let's all run up there and, you know, I'll bring the Doritos and we'll all hang out with God. It's going to be a hoot. Notice what God is saying. I'm coming down. You need to get ready. And if you come anywhere near this mountain and touch it or come up it, you're going to die. And the person that goes there, you don't go and get him. He says, you stand back. Because they're going to die. What a picture of what God is describing that if you are going to come into the presence of God, holiness is required. You need to be set apart. You need to be sanctified. You cannot just walk into the presence of God as you are and think that is going to go well. This is why we see that in Isaiah chapter 6. Here's Isaiah being commissioned before God. He's not even really in the presence of God, but is having a vision of being in the presence of God in the throne room. And his reaction is, I am doomed. It's over for me. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people who are unclean as well. The presence of God immediately indicates His holiness and our wretchedness before Him. You cannot just come into the presence of God. And even in that scene in Isaiah, recall that God has to make Him holy to be able to stand there and to endure what God is going to tell Him. This is what the New Testament is saying again and again. Here's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. That strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I want you to think about that as this is God introducing himself to the people. And the first thing he wants them to know is without holiness, you will not see the Lord. Without holiness, you cannot be in his presence. Without holiness, you cannot be in relationship with Him. Holiness is required. And the very first words God now tells Moses after saying, okay, we're in covenant now, here's what needs to happen. I'm coming and you need to get ready. I'm coming to you. And everybody needs to prepare. Everybody needs to get ready because God is coming to make those preparations. And now notice what happens next in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain that was very a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. 
Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Let's just stop and soak in what just happened there. This is a mind-blowing scene and I want you to try to just visualize what is going on here with the details that that are given to us. Here is the scene that is laid before us. I, I want you to begin by imagining a frightening storm. Notice that's the imagery that's given to us here. We see in verse 16, there are thunders and lightning. So one of your fiercest storms that you can conjure in your mind, the lightning and the thunder is just rolling all around this mountain. And it says in verse 16, a thick cloud now is on the mountain. Have you ever been somewhere, out, probably out west, where you get those really tall mountains and you can't see the top of them because they're shrouded in cloud? There are certain mountains that are so tall most of the time, that's the way they always are. And if you're lucky, you get to see it. There's been a few times where we've been on one of the few of those mountains and that fog and cloud will come in and you can't see the person right next to you. You're just shrouded in this cloud and it is thick. I remember one of the times we were in Colorado, we were on Pikes Peak, somewhere around 14,000 feet, something like that. There we can, we're in the parking lot and we can't see the building you're supposed to walk to that's in the parking lot because it's so shrouded in thick cloud. That's the visualization of what this mountain looks like. There is lightning flying, thunder is booming, thick cloud all around this mountain so that it cannot be seen. Verse 16 says, there is a very loud trumpet blast. Just imagine now the sound of a trumpet just blaring in your ears. And then it says in verse 16, the people are trembling. And then not only that. Remember what's supposed to happen when the trumpet sounded. As that trumpet is blaring, God said at the end of verse 13, that's when you're supposed to come up to the base of the mountain. He said, don't touch it. But that's when you were supposed to come out to meet God. And that's what happens in verse 17. In all of that, with the lightning flying and the thunder booming and the thick cloud and the loud trumpet blast, verse 17, Moses brings the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And if that was not enough, verse 18 says that the mountain now is wrapped in smoke as God had descended on it in fire. The mountain appears to be burning. He says so much so that the smoke, middle of verse 18, went up like the smoke of a furnace, just burning smoke. And not only are the people trembling, notice creation is trembling. Same word says the whole mountain trembles as God comes down. This is a terrifying scene. And the whole point that's being communicated here as the sounds and the scene of all that's going on, verse 19, the trumpet sound is going louder and louder and louder. And it says that when Moses spoke, 
God answered in thunder. As the people get closer to the mountain, all that's communicating to you is the vast distance that separates God and me. Who would not be terrified at this scene? As God says, I want you to be ready because I'm coming to meet you. And he comes to meet you like this. In fire, thunder, lightning, smoke, trumpet blast. And every word that God speaks to Moses continues to quake with thunder throughout the creation. The people are trembling, the creation is trembling, and the whole scene is to get everybody to understand how separated we are from God. This is God coming down. And are you ready to meet God? In fact, notice how it continues to press forward because at the end of verse 20, you'll notice that it says that the Lord now calls Moses to come up this mountain, which is amazing because what God say about anybody coming and touching this mountain or going up on this mountain, you're going to die. But God now tells Moses, Moses, you can come up here. You come up this mountain and Moses comes up. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Now I want you to listen to what God is doing. God says, here's what I want you to do, Moses. You need to go down there and tell them not to come on this mountain. Listen to what Moses says in verse 23. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come to the, to Mount, up to Mount Sinai, For you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. Here, Moses, Moses goes, don't worry. We did as you said. We put a barrier around it. Nobody's going to come up. Listen to God. Verse 24. The Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. And do not let the priests of the people break through and come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. God has first given this rule three days earlier. Put a barrier around the mountain. Nobody better touch this mountain. Then Moses comes up and God says, make sure nobody comes on this mountain. And Moses goes, we know, we heard you, we got it. We put a barrier around, nobody's coming. And God's answer is, make sure nobody touches this mountain. (laughs) And Moses going, I know, (laughs) we got it. But notice what God is doing here. One, we're getting a sense of recognition again. The consecration, the holiness that is required of this. And you are getting a sense of the grace of God. I don't know if you see that here or not, but this is the astounding grace of God. Because He wants to make sure that nobody dies by His presence. He is doing everything, repeated warning to them again and again. Do not come on this mountain. You will not make it. This is God being gracious and His presence coming down. And thus He says it to Moses again. Make sure they don't come up. Now why do you think God has to keep telling Moses to tell the people, please make sure they don't come up here? So I think God knows people. Because what's our first reaction going to be when we see a mountain on fire and burning and lightning? Ooh, let's go see. And God says, make sure nobody does that. 
Three times God says that. Make sure, make sure. And here is God knowing what the people are going to do and He is warning them saying, don't do what your inclination is to do because it's not going to go well for you. It is the grace of God that is on display here at this moment because God recognizes our evil hearts. And though God has said, don't come on the mountain, He said, make sure you don't do it because I know you're going to want to. Don't do it. And so notice Moses goes back down in verse 25. And he tells them again, told them everything that God said, do not come to this mountain. Now we can read chapter 19 and wonder... What does that have to do with anything for us today? Great story. Really neat for them in the Old Testament. Wow, scary, okay. But what does that have to do about us? And the answer is everything. The scene that happens here is so strongly alluded to and spoken about in the New Testament in regards to who Christ is. And our relationship to God that we're going to spend the next few minutes then talking about why this text is so significant to a relationship with God for us as New Testament Christians. First, let's talk about Christ. We have seen again and again in our study of the book of Exodus that these things are all foreshadowing the coming of Christ. These things are foreshadowing wonderful things about what God was going to do to redeem and save His people. One of them that we keep seeing again and again and is worth reminding as we'll note it all throughout our study of really Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is always this picture of Moses operating as the mediator between God and the people. And Moses stands as that representation for what Christ is going to do to be able to stand between us and God. It is amazing to see that nobody can come near this mountain, but we'll let Moses come near. Moses can come up and come down and up and down. He can go before the presence of God and then come into the presence of the people and is able to move back and forth. This is one of the key points that the writer of Hebrews wants us to get. Why he is such a great high priest. Because he has the ability to do that. That yes, he can stand before God because he is God. While at the same time, while taking on flesh, he can stand before us. Because he knows what it is like to be human. For he was tempted at all points as us. He is the perfect mediator. He is the perfect high priest. We're getting another taste of that here as we read this, of how important it is that there be somebody to stand between us and God. And Jesus is certainly that individual. But there is so much more in the connections that are being made here. Did you notice a phrase that is stated a couple of times that might have caught your attention? You'll notice that God is saying, it's going to be on the third day that this is going to happen. It's going to be on the third day when I'm going to visit my people. It's going to be on the third day when this is going to be the glory of God revealed. And that is not a term by accident, nor is it a term that is only in the Exodus and then in the New Testament with Christ being raised on the third day. 
It is used a lot in the Old Testament to describe the arrival of the glory of God and a deliverance or a healing or a rescuing. Some examples of that, like we have over in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 5 through 8. If you remember, God comes to Moses through, I mean, through Isaiah, comes to Hezekiah and tells him, you're not going to live much longer, this illness is going to kill you. Hezekiah prays for deliverance of that illness. And the answer that God now gives him is that he was going to be healed and be able to return to the temple of the Lord on the third day. There is this imagery that deliverance comes on the third day. You might remember in the story that's regarding Esther. Esther's plan to rescue the Jews from the plot that Haman has brought about. She is going to go before the king and these plans begin to unfold. Chapter 5 verse 1 says, on the third day. It's on the third day that deliverance comes. Hosea prophesies that way. Come, let us return to the Lord for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and He will bind us up. After two days He will revive us and on the third day He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Hosea 6, 1-2. In that picture you have Hosea prophesying about the devastation of Israel. We have been broken because of our sins, but it's on the third day that there could be healing. It's on the third day there could be rescue. God's glory could be seen at that moment. On the third day, God is going to do something for us. And thus, God is doing the same thing here in Exodus 19. I want you to get ready. Because the presence of God, the glory of God... This great display of who God is, is going to be shown to you on the third day. Which is what the resurrection is all about. Is the greatest display of God's glory. A greatest picture of who He is as a deliverer, a savior, a rescuer. Is on the third day Jesus rises from the dead. God was predicting that. On the third day, there's rescue. On the third day, there's God's glory. On the third day, now you've received restoration and hope and healing. And here is a picture of that already. Get ready for the third day because God's coming. And you are going to see the magnificent glory of God on the third day. And that's what's happening here in Exodus. And if that were not enough in regarding this picture, regarding Christ... Go back to verse 9 of chapter 19 and notice why God says He's going to do this. Why all of this display? Why the thunder and the lightning and the smoke and the shaking and the thick cloud and the trumpet blast? Why is God doing that? Look at verse 9. He said, Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you And may also believe you forever. This was to be a defining moment so that the people of Israel would always listen to Moses. Moses is the voice of God. And God says, I am going to do this so that the people will forever listen to you. They will remember this and see what you do coming up the mountain and hearing God thundering voice. 
And they will know to listen to you. And we've talked about this connection regarding Christ and Moses over and over again. That Christ is always pulling the imagery of Moses upon himself. And it's how the writer of Hebrews starts his very sermon. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Just as Moses is the authoritative mouthpiece for God. And this event is supposed to cause the people to forever listen to Moses and not question what he says. This event on the third day when Jesus rises from the dead is to cause all people to know that Christ is the voice of God. And you are not to question what he says, but listen to him forever. This is what the writer of Hebrews is driving at. In fact, not only does the writer of Hebrews do this, if you remember, you have this scene in Matthew chapter 17, we call the transfiguration, which is doing the exact same thing. Remember the scene that is before us. It says in verse 1 of Matthew 17 that Jesus goes up on a high mountain and that Moses and Elijah are there being transfigured Then this change that Jesus has. And Peter is talking, and here in verse 5, while he's speaking of Peter, still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Okay, so what? Listen to Him. It connects to Exodus 19. What God is saying to the people is, here's Moses, listen to him. What he says, you do. Your mind already might be going forward to all the times the people didn't listen to Moses. And how bad that went for them every single time. And here in the New Testament, Jesus is portrayed as the new Moses by which God says, now this is my one. He's my beloved son. He's not just simply a prophet. He's not just simply some representative. He is my son. And what that means is you are to listen to him. In fact, the New Testament spends so much of its time speaking in that way. Listen now to Acts chapter 13. Here's a sermon by the Apostle Paul. And notice how he makes that very connection. Acts 13 verse 30. And speaking about Christ, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Now, if we read the rest, notice the connection he makes. What is the fulfillment of the second psalm of God saying, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Verse 30, verse 31, verse 32, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection on the third day is the proof, defining moment. This is certainly my son. And as God says on the Mount of Transfiguration, what that means is you must listen to him. But notice how Paul continues that forward and the implications of what that means. Verse 35. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, 
You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Notice the Exodus slavery setting free terminology. On the third day, Jesus is proven to be the Son of God and has set the people free. The Exodus has occurred. And thus, Paul uses that very language to drive that into our mind that Jesus is to be listened to forever, for he is exactly what Moses was a foreshadow of, that one day there would be one who would be the perfect one to come and liberate us from our sins. And it was all accomplished on the third day by which the glory of God was seen. In fact, remember in John's gospel how Jesus talks about how he was going to be glorified. How was glorification going to happen? Crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus is even speaking about his glorification being on the third day would be that very moment. Now, what does that mean for us? Quite a few things. Go over now in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I won't have this on the screen. It's too large of a text to work with on the screen. So if you can turn in your copy of God's word to Hebrews chapter 12. And your mind might have run over here already at this point because Hebrews 12 is absolutely directly referring to this event. In fact, notice it, Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that there be no further messages spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. No doubt Exodus 19 is in view by this writer. He says, you remember that mountain and you remember all that happened. And by the way, I want to pull you back a little bit and just notice that the context is the exact same message before he drives into here. Back to verse 14. That's the passage we started with this evening. For without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. He starts here back with the concept of holiness. Verses 15, 16, and 17, he uses the example of Esau because of the problem. End of verse 15, so that you would not be defiled, that no one sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. It is a concept of holiness that the writer of Hebrews is speaking about. That's what Exodus 19 is about. When God comes, you need to be holy. For without holiness, you won't see the Lord. Don't be like Esau who was defiled. Don't follow that path. You need to be consecrated before God. And so now verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched. Now consider the idea here is the picture of you haven't come to something physical. He's reminding them of how that scene unfolded there in Exodus 19. And so we haven't come to this physical mountain like they came to, a mountain that could be touched. It was a mountain that brought fear and trembling to the people. Notice then what 
the writer says in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Notice the contrast that he's making. You haven't come to a physical mountain, but you have come to a mountain. Don't miss that. You haven't come to one that could be physically touched, but don't forget to recognize you have come to a mountain. And no, it is not Mount Sinai, it is Mount Zion. It is this heavenly Jerusalem. And he goes on and describes all the benefits that come from standing before this mountain. To God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the innumerable angels in festal gathering, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. Now, here is the question that I pose to you before we go on. What is supposed to be the response? The writer of Hebrews is setting up from there back in verse 14. You need to be holy to see the Lord. Don't be like Esau who defiled himself and had no chance of repentance. Because you haven't come to a physical mountain that can be touched like Sinai. By which the people were fear and in trembling and they couldn't handle it. Instead you have come to a mountain but is the mountain of Zion. Now do you think the point of the writer is to say. And so everybody take a deep breath because it's a good thing we haven't come to that scary mountain. Instead we've come to Mount Zion and God has taken his foot off the pedal. And he's so much kinder and so much so much more lenient and it's all going to be okay because we haven't come to Sinai, we've come to Zion. Let's read on and see. Verse 26. Actually, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. What is the intended response that the writer of Hebrews wants from this? Verse 25, he says, well, how much less will we escape? Because we have come to Mount Zion, whereas they had come to Mount Sinai. Verses 26 and 27. You've come to a different kingdom. They came to a kingdom that was shakable. In fact, he goes on to explain that. The Jewish nation, Israel, the temple, was all about to be destroyed. But that's not the kingdom you're a part of. You're a part of a permanent kingdom, one that cannot be shaken. And then he goes on further and says, so we need to worship with fear and with awe because our God is a consuming fire. 
The point that the writer of Hebrews is not getting to is by coming to Mount Zion and saying, well, now the intensity of God's holiness is now alleviated. Quite the opposite. He's saying the holiness of God is intensified because of the mountain you stand in front of. They stood at Sinai and look at what that did. Look at what you stand in front of. You stand before holy Jerusalem. You stand before the God and judge of all. You stand before the assembly of the firstborn. You stand before spirits made righteous. You stand before Jesus in a better covenant. You stand before this blood that is better that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The whole picture that is being laid out here is until we put ourselves in front of the mountain and tremble at His holiness and tremble at who He is in His presence, we can never appreciate the mercy of God. This is why he uses Esau. You can go back through chapter 12 and reverse all the way back and talking about all the things that these Christians were going through. That until we appreciate who God is, And where we stand before God. We will never be moved to change our lives under his grace. Which, by the way, as I pointed out, was the intention of the mountain, wasn't it? The intention of the mountain was to get people to recognize the holiness of God. And to stand back and do as God says and listen to Moses. That's the intent of the grace of God right there. God didn't want anyone to perish in that moment when he came down in that mountain. And the same is true for us. That the whole concept of being able to stand before Zion and to recognize what we have come to is to recognize the holiness of God and the need to listen to Christ and the need for us to be holy as we come before him. It is a call for holiness. If we want to be in the presence of God, if we want to be in relationship with God, his purpose is not terror. In fact, after chapter 20 is the speaking, God speaks the Ten Commandments. And when that's done, notice Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. I want you to hear how strange that sounds because that's true of what the writer of Hebrews is doing. The point is not for you to be scared and in terror of, oh no, we are before Mount Zion. Ah! But he says, I did that so that you would fear. You need to respect the holiness of God. Don't be terrified of God. I didn't do it for that. I did it so that you would understand who I am. I did it so you would understand my holiness. And you don't just come into the presence of God however you want. You have to come to God made holy. Otherwise, it goes badly. And that was his message at Sinai and why the writer of Hebrews will use that Here, consider how Isaiah references this idea and then we'll end. Isaiah has tons of images about how this new covenant people are going to come to a mountain. It's all over the place. It's in in Isaiah 2. It starts right there about coming to the mountain of the Lord. And it just continues on. There's constant pictures of Zion throughout Isaiah. But here's a couple of them for the sake of time. Isaiah 25 verse 6. 
On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and, and, and marrow and of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over the people, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Notice the whole picture of When you get to come to the mountain, you get to enjoy the banquet with God. And you get to enjoy salvation. And you get to enjoy being His people. The whole idea is this wonderful idea of when you can come to this mountain and enjoy the rich blessings of God wiping away tears, all these beautiful images that are given to us. A couple chapters later, Isaiah 27, verse 13. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown. Does that sound familiar? And those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Here's Zion again. Trumpet's going to sound and everybody's going to assemble around the mountain again. Great pictures. And God's purpose is simply this. To understand holiness. To come before God. That's why the Apostle Peter would write so clearly and so importantly in telling the people to be holy just as your God is holy. The key of the book of Leviticus, here we are in Exodus. If you recall, we went through the book of Exodus. What was the big deal about the book of Leviticus? The people need to be holy. The people need to be holy. The people need to be holy. You need to be set apart. You need to be different. You need to be dedicated. You must be distinct if you're going to be my people. And now that is only intensified because we haven't come to a mountain that can be touched. But we have come to Mount Zion, a mountain of salvation, a mountain of forgiveness, a mountain of a new covenant, a mountain that speaks better things. Here is this great mountain we have come to. And the whole point is to say, since the blessings are better and the covenant is better and everything is better, what do we do about holiness? It's really important. It is really important. We must be holy if we're going to see God. We must be holy to stand in his presence. And thus Exodus 19 set up a visual of what the New Testament was going to teach about his people. If you want to be the people of God, and if you want to see him one day, and you want to spend eternity with him, be holy, just as your God is holy. We'll sing a song now, and we invite you to come to Jesus. Because he is the one that makes us holy. Holiness is not going to be accomplished by, okay, well, I'm going to just do a bunch of good things. You need to be made holy before God. That's what's so amazing about what God came to do. Is that God intervened with Christ in such a way so that we could come to Him 
and have our garments washed and be sprinkled clean so that we could be priests before him, offering up our sacrifices of acceptable worship before him. This is the pictures that God has given to us. He made it possible for us to be holy and to stand in his presence. Without the death of Christ, we would all be doomed as we walked before this mountain. But Christ comes, takes away sin, sets us free. And now he says, will you follow me? Will you turn away from sin? Will you get yourselves right with God and follow him with all of your heart, serve him and obey him and listen to the commands that he's given? You ready to do that this night? Won't you respond to the invitation and come while we stand and while we sing?